So, hey, let's spend some time in prayer. Jesus, oh, we need you so much. I pray that as you uh, are here with us right now, as you've given your Holy Spirit, as you've given us precious and magnificent promises that you would be at work in our hearts now as your word is read and as we talk about the amazingness of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us, Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us in all truth. And Jesus, I'm so thankful to to have a great group of people to lead and serve alongside in your local church. I'm thankful for the privilege of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. I'm, I'm thankful for this place that you've called us to do ministry in. I'm thankful that the work you began in us, you'll bring to completion even under the day of Christ. I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for friendships and family. I'm thankful for this time of year where we lift our eyes up to Jesus and we celebrate his coming into the world, his moving into the neighborhood to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm thankful, Jesus, and I pray that our thanksgiving would overflow into the lives of others as we remember Jesus. And I pray in his name, amen. So we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we've been walking through the book of 2 Peter, uh, and we're going to read verses uh, 12 through 15 uh, this week and study it together. So this is God's word. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in um, this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. This is the word of God. So Peter is writing to the church, churches that he's been relating to, that he's helped start, that he wants to encourage, and he's writing around 65 A.D., And he's writing to the church from Rome, where he's currently in prison, and he's learned that soon he's going to be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to give the full and final testimony of his faith in Christ as Nero, the emperor of Rome, puts him to death in the city of Rome. And what's on his heart? Is he complaining about the circumstances facing him? Is is he terrified of his imminent death? Does he write to the church asking them to, to begin a campaign to secure his release? He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't complain. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't ask for help or freedom. He says, I want you to remember Jesus Christ. I want you to remember Jesus because what's most important to me 
after I'm gone is that you would never, ever, ever forget the one who saved you and who's been real in your life and who is transforming you and who's helping you be the church that he's called you to be. Don't ever, ever, ever forget Jesus. Remember Jesus. Now that's our point, and that's our action step for this week. It's a super simple message. Just remember Jesus. Now, we're going to answer three questions from this passage. The first is, who do we remember? That's easy. We remember Jesus. Who do we remember? Jesus. Now, why do we need to remember Jesus? We'll answer that question. And then the third question we'll answer is, well, how? How do we remember Jesus? So we'll answer those three questions, and we'll start with the first one. Who do we remember? Jesus. In fact, why don't you say that with me? Who do we remember? Jesus. Thank you. You are really good. We remember Jesus. That's what's on the very tip of Peter's tongue. That is what's flooding out of his heart. As he thinks about the circumstances facing him, he is full of Jesus. And when you squeeze Peter, Jesus comes out. Look at verse 1. It's almost the first thing he says. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. What's my identity? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm connected to Jesus. What do I want? I want people to know about Jesus. Look at verse 2. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or go down to verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Who do we remember? Jesus. And what does Peter believe about Jesus? Well, it's in verse 14. You also, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Peter believe about Jesus? He believes that he's Lord. The Greek word is kurios, and it means master. Now, we don't talk much in our culture about lords. I mean, maybe you've Watch Downton Abbey. Maybe you watch some BBC. They talk about lords. We don't talk about lords. We're Americans. We don't have lords. We do have a lord. His name's Jesus. He's master. You know why he's master? He's master because before anything existed, he did. And before anything came to pass, he and the Father and the Spirit chose to bring everything to pass. And through Jesus, everything that we see in the created world exists because of him. And because of Jesus, as master, everything holds together. He is the Lord, the curious. He's also Jesus, Yeshua. Not only is he master, 
master over all things, he has come in the taking on our humanity and being born of a virgin. He took on our flesh and he moved into the neighborhood for one purpose, that was to save us. That's why he's called Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. He's Jesus. That's what Joseph was told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we don't just have a Lord who tells us what to do and hopes that we'll do it so that we can be with him one day in heaven? That's not good news because none of us could do it. The good news of the gospel is that we have a Lord who has saved us. He's Yeshua. God saves. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Christos. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is Messiah, anointed one. He's the one who is born in fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, born of the tribe of David, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, living a perfect life. He's the one who would become the suffering servant, taking our place on the cross and doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. But he's come as the anointed one, the chosen one of God, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now the question is this. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with a Lord, with a Savior, with a Christ? What are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to follow him as Lord? Bow down in wide-eyed wonder because of who he is and what he's accomplished for you. Oh, you should and you can. You see, the bad news of the gospel is that none of us come into this world believing in Jesus. In fact, we have many, many other things that we put in the first place position that Jesus says is rightfully his. None of us come into this world with Jesus as Lord. And all of us come into this world thinking that basically, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, that maybe I could save myself. And none of us come into this world looking for a Messiah. Oh, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't wait for us to respond to him. Jesus did it for us long before we ever knew him. And long before we ever responded to his love, he loved us and gave himself for us. Jesus, Lord, Savior, Messiah. If you've never put your trust in him, won't you turn from all those other lords? Won't you turn from all those other saviors? Won't you turn from all those other things and put your trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel? And if you have trusted him, 
follow him. Remember him. Look to him. Remember who he really is. He's he's really Lord. He's really Jesus. God saves. He's really the Christ. How do I know? Peter tells us, we know because he lives. You see, Peter doesn't have in his mind this romantic vision of what Jesus was for him 30 years earlier. He has a solid confidence in who Jesus is for him right now, in jail, in Rome. I know that Jesus is communicating to me his promises, and I know that Jesus is with me, and he is revealing himself to me. Do you know Jesus like that? Is he a present reality? Not a romantic ideal, but a present reality in your life. Who is Jesus? He's alive from the dead. Why should we follow him? Because he lives. No one's ever lived for you. No one's ever died for you. No one's ever come back from the dead for you. Jesus alone has done it. Remember him. That's who he is. Now why? Why do I have to say, remember Jesus? Well, it's embedded in this passage. We have to remember Jesus because we have forgetful hearts. We naturally forget about Jesus. We are gospel amnesiacs. You remember the movie 50 First Dates? Right? You you remember the movie Overboard? Right? Some of you are old like me. You may even remember Gilligan's Island. Remember when Skipper, coconut on the head, forgot who he was? It's great in comedies. It's horrible in the Christian life. But we are naturally gospel amnesiacs. Verse 9, Peter has told us, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten the purification from their former sins, his former sins. We're gospel amnesiacs. That's why the church is so essential. We come together to remind one another of the gospel. And when I forget about Jesus, there is no end to the discouragement and the defeatedness and the despair that can grip my heart. So what do I need? I need to remember Jesus because I'm a gospel amnesiac and so are you. Why do I need to remember Jesus? Because not only do I have a forgetful heart, we also have a distracted heart. We have a distracted heart. We are about to enter into a season in the life of the church. It is amazing. We celebrate that Jesus Christ moved into the neighborhood and he walked among us. And while it is the most amazing season in the church, it's also one of the most distracting 
seasons in the life of the church. We have distracted hearts. Every single morning, I wake up with my phone in one hand and my Bible in the other, and there's a battle. What's going to win? The emails and the text messages and the social media feeds or the precious and magnificent promises. I and you have a distracted heart. What will set my distracted heart free is when Jesus establishes me. Do you see what Peter said? I want you to be established in Jesus. Now, there's a lot of talk about the establishment, like that's a bad thing. There is an establishment called Jesus. And when Jesus has his first place as the establishment in our heart, our hearts aren't distracted. But the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, like Doug in the movie Up, You remember Doug, the dog, in the movie Up? Remember what his problem was? Squirrel! The moment we're distracted from Jesus, he doesn't cease to be the most glorious being in all the universe. He always is and will be. But our little sin-sick hearts are just so easily distracted. Now we have forgetful hearts. We have distracted hearts. The third thing is we have forever hearts. Peter is speaking with confidence that when he dies, which he believes will be very soon, he will change location but not companion. Did you know that there are two things that last forever? God's word and people. You see, the people around this room right now are forever. There are no ordinary people. People matter because they're made in the image of God. You are a glory to behold. You are made in the image of God. You showcase the wonder of Jesus' creative power. But you're also a ruin, twisted and turned inward by the fall. You need a Savior. But you are forever. You're not ordinary. And it's going to be forever in the presence of God or forever apart from his presence. And what you do in remembering Jesus is what will make all the difference. See, we have forgetful hearts. We have distracted hearts. We have forever hearts. And we need to remember Jesus. Now, how do we do it? How do we do that? How do we remember Jesus? Now, I've mentioned the precious and magnificent promises. Now, I came to faith in Christ as a college student, and I was discipled all through my college years by another student. The Navigators had a tremendous impact on my life, taught me how to love the Word of God, to memorize Scripture, The ministry of Young Life equipped me in how to take the gospel to lost people. I'm so glad that there were ministries like Fellowship of Christian Athletes that helped me meet Jesus and be built up in Jesus. When I think how, my heart naturally goes to, well, it's easy. You just get up every day, read your Bible, 
get involved in a small group, come to worship every week, and those are all good things. In fact, we desperately need those things. The, the church of Jesus Christ is essential. I've read this quote before. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the, the book Life Together. He says, Christians need another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself. He can't help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The church is necessary because the church is the place where we proclaim the gospel to one another. But, listen, spending time with Jesus and spending time in biblical community and being a part of a worshiping community, none of that promises the powerful presence of Jesus apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, I don't believe that we experience the presence of Jesus by working our heads off on the spiritual disciplines, jumping on the hamster wheel of a legalistic observance of the spiritual disciplines. No, 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 no. We grow in the Christian life as those disciplines are made real and powerful by the presence of the Holy Spirit working in us. The image, as I've meditated on this passage this week, the image that's come back to my mind again and again and again is a fire. There's not a lot of fireplaces in northeast Florida. There's just not. Maybe you have one. But you know what I see a lot of my neighbors doing? The weather's gotten a little cooler. They make fires out in their backyard. They have these amazing fire pits, and they put the fire. And I just have this image. When the fire's been going for a while, and it's sort of died down, what do you do? You, you get your pitching wedge, and you go out there, and you stir up the fire. You stir it up. And when you stir up the fire, the fire comes back alive. And my prayer for us is that God in His grace would send the Holy Spirit to stir up the fire. Am I going to give you anything new? Am I going to tell you anything new about Jesus? No. But when the fire comes, when the Holy Spirit's working, you will be blown away as you remember Jesus. Oh, Father, send the fire. Now, there's a man named Blaise Pascal. And Blaise Pascal, um, I didn't get to read this at the first service. So listen, if you go to small group this week and you're super excited about Blaise Pascal and the people in your small group say, Blaise who? You tell him, okay? Because I didn't get to this at the first service. But Blaise Pascal was a mathematician and he was an apologist. He was a Christian. On November 23rd, 1654, for two hours, Blaise Pascal had an experience of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said. 
he wrote it down in a poem entitled, Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul, righteous Father. The world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I've departed from him. They've forgotten me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and the one who you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I, I left him. I fled him. Renounced. Crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally in joy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. Pascal wrote down that poem. He sewed it into his coat. And it was found after his death. Remember Jesus Christ. Ask for the fire from heaven. Ask for the work of the Holy Spirit. To not give us new information, but to take the story of the gospel, the wonders of Jesus, and make it so powerful in our lives that our hearts would be set on fire for God. Stir us up by way of reminder. Do that for one another. You're essential. You're essential to one another's progress in the gospel. Holy Spirit, take this truth and make it real. That the most important thing is not that you remember Jesus, but that he remembers you. Let's pray. Jesus, stir us up. Send your Holy Spirit. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And from his innermost being will flow streams of living water. Holy Spirit, come as the fire. Make yourself real. Make Jesus real. So that the words on a page come to life. Jesus, revive us again that your people might delight in you. And it all started. It all starts when, when you draw us out of our life of death and, and into an eternal kind of life. If you sense this morning Jesus drawing you to himself. 
Won't you turn loose of whatever those things are that you're holding on to other than Jesus? And and won't you put your trust in Christ alone? Won't you say to him now, Jesus, I admit to you, I've put so many other things in front of you. But Jesus, I turn from those trinkets and I trust in you alone. Jesus, I believe that you died for me and you rose again from the dead for me and you live now. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. Come into my life, Jesus, and help me become the person you want me to be. Oh, Jesus, our hearts are so forgetful, so easily distracted, and yet we're forever infinite, personal God revealed in Jesus. Come and fill your church again with your Holy Spirit. Fill each saint here that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you might be known and glorified by being with us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.